Good morning, all. I suppose there should be delay no longer, time no longer, as it were. Yes, yes. Sunday school enthusiasm. So, well, as much as I enjoy having church on Saturdays, uh, I kind of enjoyed having a day off yesterday to just relax since I had no no brain for Ron to pick about the seminars. Uh, it was quite a relief. So, uh, I didn't exactly get caught up on my rest or anything like that, but, you know, when... When you're busy, you're busy. So, Jesus, we thank you for this day, and, yes. and we praise you for all that you've done for us, God, for the uh, the sacrifice that that you lived and that you died for us, Lord Jesus, God, and, and how you you gave yourself entirely for our cause, and because you loved us that much, God. And uh, this morning, we just invite you in this place, God, to to speak to us and to Teach us those things that you've put in your word, Lord God, that you'd plant that seed and that you'd cause it to grow. And just do exactly what it is that you want to do in this place today. Say what you want to say in this place today. Lord, give us hearts to receive, God, ears to hear and eyes to see. God, we just pray that you would, uh, again, God, raise our sense of expectation, God, to receive something from you, God, in the, uh, both in the Sunday school God, and in the regular service, God, to receive exactly what it is that you have for us today and bless the children in the in their Sunday school Lord God and cause these teachings from your word to take root inside of them Lord God and and to to grow up and bear fruit in their lives God we pray it in the name of Jesus amen amen so it's precious watching your your kids grow up and and uh, and you know the the things that you you talk to them about when you you hear them come back out. It's a it's an encouraging thing, and uh, you know Jeremy's uh, going to be eight this week, and and actually the the very first time I ever had an opportunity to preach here was the day before he was born. So kind of come around full circle here. But uh, um, Cynthia and I were talking last night. I was like, wow, a lot's changed in eight years. You know, life is. Not at all like it was then, and I'm not at all like I was then. Thank God for that. So, uh, go with me to Exodus 24. <coughs> yes, now that I have two children in school this, again this year, it's like it's like sending them into a petri dish and then bringing them home. And. Uh, so here it is, sunny and in the 90s out every day, and I'm hacking up stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> so um, what I want to talk about a little bit is about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant and how uh, Moses and Jesus were the mediators of those respective covenants and, and how they both uh, sprinkled blood to uh, um, seal the, the covenant that they, that they were the mediator of. So I'm going to start in Exodus 1, or uh, Exodus 24, verse 1. And he said to Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. 
and Moses alone shall come near the Lord. They shall not come near, neither shall the people go up with him. And uh, I thought that was interesting because uh, when it came time for the new covenant, Jesus also went alone and and he approached unto the presence of the Lord and, and and indeed went through those things without being able to feel the presence of the Lord and feeling utterly forsaken. But he, uh, so the mediator went alone in both cases. And Moses came and he told all the people, or he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose up early in the morning, and he built an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings, and they sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, and he put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, and he read in the audience of the people, and they said, All the Lord has said will we do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So, you know, the thing about a covenant is it's a, it's an agreement. It's like a contract that you make. And uh, uh, it's, it's like a marriage. You, you, you make a decision together. And you, you both make that decision. And then you make an agreement that because it's there's uh, a sense of responsibility on both sides of the covenant, and so so Moses lays it out plainly for the children of Israel. This this is the this is the uh, agreement that God is offering you. This is the covenant He's offering, and so their part was to obey it to accept it and obey it. And, and so they agreed to that. So it's like saying, I do. And, and so having, having done that, then the covenant was sealed by the, by the sprinkling of the blood. Um, go with me over to Hebrews 9. Out of all the Sunday schools that I've done so far, this one was rather squirrely to get a hold of. I, I had this this kind of idea of what to, to minister on, and I I spent some time on it Tuesday night after the children were in bed. Cynthia was still off uh, learning her sign language, and and uh, I was going to work on it some more Thursday. That didn't work out so well. Uh, and then eventually yesterday I finally kind of got, felt like I got a hold of, of, of what the Lord was saying in this study. And uh, it's interesting because it's like you, you find something in the Word and you go to study it and then there's so many different things, so many different directions you could go with it. And uh, I, I'm a very organized person. And so... Uh, Trying to keep it narrowed down and and stick to the point uh, is kind of my focus, but it was very difficult with this study because I was like, wow, there's, man, there's so many different directions you could go with this. You know, I started 
studying a little bit about uh, about covenants. Actually, I just I, I googled the definition of covenant, and one of the things that it came up with was that the Jewish faith is based on the covenants that God made with Moses and with uh, or with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. And so I spent a little time studying each of those, and uh, it ended up not really fitting with where this study went, but uh, I found it quite interesting nonetheless. Um, so that might be like an interesting little aside that you could study uh, later on. Um, and again, here, trying to keep this organized, I, I, I'm going to be in Hebrews 9, but there, it just, I kept all these other things from Hebrews just kind of kept all coming in there at the same time. And uh, I thought, man, how can I keep this nice and organized? Like, like every, I, I need, you know, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. So, you wouldn't know it to look at my work van, but... <laughs> Yes, I, I remember working with Kevin and and him trying desperately to get all of his little his little employees to organize the van to put it back the same way that he got that we put it in there, and we had to because if he didn't, it wasn't going to fit. So Mike and I solved that problem by buying the biggest van we could find, <laughs> so you can just throw it in there, and then you could probably still go lay down in the back. So. I told Mike maybe we should get like kind of a little psychedelic paint job and put the mystery machine on the side. <laughs> Thought that might hurt our image, though. So, um, okay, so in Hebrews 9, I'm going to read just about the whole chapter. Then verily the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service, but a worldly sanctuary. So, so here, here, this is this this spiritual God, and, and yet He gave them these these uh, physical things that they could see and touch and do. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them to the time of Reformation. So, so he, he says, and here we have all of these services, this, this divine service in this uh, worldly sanctuary, and the high priest would go in every year with the blood. You guys know about the, the Day of Atonement when the priest would go in with the blood and offer it for himself and for the people. And uh, <coughs> uh, but, it, but it says here that it couldn't make him that did the service perfect. 
and in fact, if you uh, if you skip over into Hebrews 10, it tells you that uh, that the, those sacrifices every year brought back. Actually, let me just read it. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, could never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So he says, so you come in, you know, because they had to bring their sacrifices to the temple. And so, so then you come with this, uh, with this sacrifice. And, you know, obviously Israel came to a place where their heart was very far from God, and it was just simply, you show, you show up in Jerusalem, you pay your money, and you hang out at the feast, and you go your way. But, you know, for the for the sincere person, there would be this remembrance. This is why I'm doing this sacrifice. This is why I've brought this sacrifice. You're traveling to Jerusalem with your little animal, thinking I'm going to have to. I'm going to give this thing to the priest to kill it because of what I've done in my life, and because I I need the forgiveness of God, and, and I need His mercy, and so even. But and, and as he says here, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So even then, in the Old Covenant, it required faith in the blood of the sacrifice, that the blood of the sacrifice is acceptable to God. Because if this is the sacrifice that God has asked for, then then that sacrifice, then I, that must be what he, what he wants me to do, and so I'm just going to trust him in that. It may not make much sense to me, but that's fine because if that's what he says, I'm going to trust him. In fact, he goes on there in Hebrews 10 and he tells you about about the sacrifice where he says you know, that sacrifices and offerings you would not with a body you've prepared me. And so, uh, you know, that's the sacrifice that God's looking for. The, the sacrifice of Christ is, is that once and for all uh, sacrifice, the, the, the satisfaction for uh, the sins which are past. And uh, uh, and it's an example for us because the Bible says that we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice uh, to Him. And the Bible, in fact, in Hebrew, or Romans 12, it says that's our reasonable service. The very least that you could do is do what He did. And I like that because what He did seems so Herculean to us. <laughs> And uh, and so impossible to us, and yet God's saying this is the very least that you could do, is is do what He did, you know, and and that fits in with the character of God because He uh, He says to do unto others as you'd have them do to you, and that you reap what you sow, and so so what a what a, a, a glory that we've reaped from Him, what a mercy that we've reaped from Him, and so He wants us and expects us, in fact, demands that we. Um, extend that same mercy in, uh, to others, that same love to other people. <coughs> Excuse me. Huh. Uh, verse 11, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, 
That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, so then Jesus, the high priest, not only does he go in and, and sprinkle the blood, but he, he's also he's the high priest and he's the sacrifice. And so, so he is that very place. And we're going to get into that a little more here in a bit. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, then how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there we are talking about conscience again. Because he said, you know, we have these old sacrifices, this, the, the blood of bulls and goats. And it said that, that, uh, that those things sprinkling the unclean made them clean because it was the covenant that God had arranged for that time. And, and we understand that it's a, uh, it's a type and shadow. Just like he says over in Hebrews 10 that, that it had the... Uh, let me see how it says that again. That it had a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things. So, so we had this, this idea of these, these sacrifices because he was, of course, hiding the fact that he was going to have a human sacrifice. Because, as we all know, if, if God had been plain from the beginning that the, 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 the sacrifice that was going to, to be the, the ultimate sacrifice that he wanted was going to be a man, then people would have taken that and ran with it. And so, so he hid it, of course. And uh, but he says that that you know if those things could make you clean because you trusted that God said that this is what you do, so it works. Then how much more, he says, could the blood of Christ cleanse you and purge your conscience from the dead works? Because because you're not going to come back at the day of atonement and bring this up again, and and you don't have to hang out with it and carry it until then. You can get rid of it now, which is is a glorious thing. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if you get something disgusting on yourself, you don't want to keep it there. You know, I, I mean, I've been known to get something on my shirt and save it for later, but um, that's not, you know, you don't want to do that with sin. You know, it's like, you know, it's like working on. Uh, on a, a toilet that's not working. If you get something on you, then the idea of burning your clothes in the trash and taking a bath in bleach water sounds like a really great idea. <laughs> and 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 that's that's what that's what it's like to have sin on you. It's it's that distasteful. It's that aberrant. And and so rather than keep this around until the Day of Atonement and keep looking at that little goat and thinking, well, add one more thing to the to the goat. It's like, wow, I can get rid of this now with the blood of Christ because I have access to Him by faith and because He has made the sacrifice for me, I already have it. I, I have the blood right here. I don't need uh, a priest to kill a sacrifice for me and, and sprinkle it or any of that stuff. I don't need any of that. And so, 
there comes this purging of your conscience with the blood of Christ because it's like that thing is gone. He said that if I confess my sins and He's faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So not only does He does he get rid of the sin, but He gets down to the root of the thing and gets rid of it. Because it doesn't do any good to get rid of something if it's just going to come right back. That's why you, you pull weeds. You don't just cut them off. Because they're just going to come right back. You you uh, you have to get get at the the root of the problem to to get rid of it. And and God knows that, and so God does that in our life. <clears throat> okay. So how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, and that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So here he is, this mediator. And, you know, it's interesting, this word testament is, is throughout the New Testament, you find that the word covenant and the word testament. Uh, Two separate words in English that are similar uh, are both translated from the same Greek word. And, and it, it, in classical Greek, it very specifically referred to the disposition of your goods upon your death. So, like, you know, when you go to the funeral, it's like, I have the last will and testament of so-and-so. And, and that's what he's talking about here. So, he says, uh, so he's the mediator of that New Testament. He's the He's the, the means by which we have access uh, to God. He, he's the mediator between the two parties that, that, uh, that otherwise uh, would have no, no access to one another. For where a testament is, there must also necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator lives. Lives. Whereupon, well, actually, you know, the, the thing I thought was interesting about that is the Bible says that he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. You know, so he he has things to give, and uh, not the least of all the the uh, the redemption in his blood, the the uh, the fire of the Holy Ghost that that changes us and makes us not the same. You know, I, I was talking with Cynthia last night about the. Uh, we were talking about the ways that we both viewed the last 17 years or so of our lives together, and uh, uh, you know, she kind of has a somewhat unflattering view of herself. And uh, like I said, uh, I'd like to meet this guy she's married to because he sounds really cool. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, I was like, you know, well, you say that. You know, and, and you look at things that way. But you know what I think about is in the late 90s uh, when Ron was getting ready to go to Africa, uh, just recently he told me, you know, I was praying about going to Africa because I knew I was going to be there a lot. And I was, and I knew that we were going to be not having church here anymore. And I was in prayer and I said, God, what is Greg going to do without the church? And he said, well, I gave him Cynthia. He's got he's got Cynthia, he's got the Mings. He's like they they know what he needs to know. 
And so I was telling Cynthia, I was like, well, you know, you, you see things like like you just kind of been following along with me uh, and, and I've got it all together. I look back and I see that you were the moral compass of, of our life for years. It's like, I was like, hey, let's listen to Screamo and read books about witchcraft. And you were like, <laughs> okay, I, I, I guess. You know, uh, there was this there was this period of time where uh, we weren't having church here, but Ron was doing a Bible study at the greenhouse at Kathy Brooks every week during the during the day in the afternoon, and uh, Kevin and I had so mastered our craft that we could be there, even though it was kind of in the you know middle of the day for all purposes, and I drug my feet. And drug my feet, and drug my feet. I I would leave work and I'd meander home, listening to my music and thinking, well, I don't want to show up late, so I'll you know Cynthia's going to be there, so I'll just go home and I'll play some video games. And uh, you know, I look back and I think, what a fool! You know, what what a I remember actually. I went one time, and uh, um, and I remember telling Ron, I was like, "You're going to be so proud of me. I did this this thing. I was playing this football game, and I had like created this amazing Denver Broncos team, you know." And he he was so uh, kind, but the look on his face was like, "Are you really saying these words?" It's like. It's like I'm I'm in Africa with people that would like to kill me, and you're talking about a video game, really? And uh, I kind of had this vague sense that all was not as it should be, but uh, <laughs> you know, I I just I kind of just had this idea that the uh, well, you know, eventually God's going to do something in my life to get me where I need to be, which He obviously did. You know, I, I still remember we hadn't been having church here for years, and um, we had the the winter revival in 2006, and we just never stopped having church after that. And that was right about the time that uh, Cindy got pregnant with Jeremy, and so uh, that was when God started to kind of, you know, there there wasn't anything I could point to in that revival that any specific moment and it wasn't a particularly noisy thing or a, an emotional thing it was a very probably the quietest revival I've ever been in and yet something about that revival it was like God just said okay you've you've been out in left field long enough and it's like you know it's not that I was running after the world and doing all sorts of stuff but I I thought well God's not telling me no because I'm so far out in left field I couldn't hear him if he did and and so uh, God got me back where I, I should be, and then God started really working in my life. You know, it's like if you if you told me that uh, that I still had an anger problem. I mean, that was clear to me when I was uh, in my uh, late teens and early twenties after I came here. It's like that was obvious to me that I had an anger problem, and and I and I hated it, and I despised it, and I, and I prayed about it, and. And uh, you know, I by the time I was 28, I, I felt like I had victory over that thing in my life, 
and and it's, I'm like, man, you know, look at me. And uh, and then I had children. <laughs> yes, you know, there is something about having a baby that you can't adequately explain to people who don't have children what it's like to have a baby. And, uh, I mean, you, you can kind of get the idea. It's a big change in your life, and, and uh, things are, are never going to be the same in your life again. Uh, but, I mean, it's easy to say that, but it's like the way that you were living before the baby was born is just done. It's just gone. You're, you can't afford to live that way anymore. You don't have time to live that way anymore. And uh, at least in my case, if you're if your your thing was entertaining yourself and insensibility, which mine was, and so I was like, okay, I don't have time for this anymore. But there's something about having a child that exposes the the most the most basic, raw, deep down kind of emotions that that we cover over so well. There's, it's it's like having a like having a, a hangnail or something and you peel it off. It's like it was all stiff and hard. You pull that off, it's like, ah, that is tender. And babies cannot be reasoned with. And uh, uh, you can't just tell them to stop. You can't just tell them to be quiet. And you can't just tell them, I'd like to go to sleep now. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jeremy had a really high palate and nobody caught it. And so that little guy could not hardly nurse for anything. And so for the first couple months of his life, he just screamed and screamed and screamed. And he, and he wouldn't eat. And he was just hungry all the time. And he was just this tiny little shriveled up little guy. You know, he's like six and a half pounds and he was born and he, was, he looked like this wizened old man when he came out. And as you can see, he has become quite the handsome, befractical young man, who is now nearly eight. But uh, you know, and, and God brought us through those things. But I can tell you, I that that anger that I thought was gone, with the constant irritation, kind of rose to a fever pitch that was always right underneath the surface, and it took almost nothing to bring it out. And uh, you know, I, I grew up in a home that was like that. You know, I, I, I love my parents, and they, they did um, about as well as one could expect for for somebody who has no, uh, you know, no standard of the Word of God to, to hold them accountable to. You know, my, my dad was a very angry man, and his his dad was was abusive and 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 cruel and uh, and. And he's gone now, and I, I regret that my dad never talked to him about those things, because now he's gone, and my dad has nowhere to put that bitterness that, and anger that he has. But uh, uh, so when that when that anger that he was accustomed to dealing with, uh, because that's how his dad dealt with with uh, issues as a ch- when he was a child, that was how he dealt with issues when I was a child. And so my my mom would always step in as the mediator of the covenant to stop the shedding of blood. And, but uh, you know they uh, and there are some you know glaring things that they could have done differently that would have made all the difference in the world. But uh, 
So my dad was very hands-off because my mom insisted that he be hands-off because she wasn't going to let him treat me like that, which I appreciated that. You know, I, I told my family a few years back, you know, I was like, like I've been way harder on my kids than you guys, than dad ever was on me. And they all just stared at me. It's like I, I was to the point where, where God was going to have to do something drastic. It's like I was actually uh, abusing my children. And they were all just staring at me. It's like I thought you were like the Christian guy that had all your stuff together. It's like, well, I'm the Christian guy. But I have a God that knows how to fix stuff. And, and he does. You know, and, and so that's another thing that Cynthia and I talked about. It's like, see, like even after I started getting my things together, it's like God was still going to work on stuff. And, and so I appreciate the things that God has done, you know, because I, I can look back at the way that I used to deal with my children and I can look at the way that I deal with them now and anyone could see that it's different. And and it's awesome, and because kids are so elastic and so forgiving, and uh, and I really appreciate that because my my kids just love me to bits, and uh, and there's something when you feel unlovable and your children just love you, that's really precious. So uh, where was I at? Verse 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses, just like we read in Exodus, when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled the book on all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined to you. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about hyssop is uh, it's kind of a scrubby little plant that... Um, in, uh, in the ancient world, they often actually used it as a paintbrush. You could use it like that because it kind of had that stiff, bristly kind of thing to it. And that's when when you look back through uh, the law in Leviticus, when you when you, you talk about the the cleansing of the lepers, they they sprinkled the blood of the sacrifices for the cleansing of the lepers with hyssop. And at the Passover, when they put the blood on the doorposts. They used hyssop to put it on, and so so hyssop is always connected with this sense of of the the cleansing of sin. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. It's interesting because uh, he actually lists several things here that that Moses sprinkled that Exodus doesn't tell you he sprinkled. It just tells you that he sprinkled the people and the altar. And, and here it says. That uh, and he sprinkled the book and the people and the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry, the priests and and all the stuff in the in the tabernacle and almost all things are by the law purged with blood for without the shedding of blood is no remission. So so both of these covenants deal with uh, the uh, the expiation. Of sin, the getting rid of sin, and and so that's why both of these covenants then are sealed with blood. Uh, it was necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, with these old sacrifices, because they were a pattern. So they needed a pattern sacrifice. 
but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these, because they're the actual thing. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world. He often must have suffered. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, like I said earlier, he not only was he the high priest that brought in the blood, but he was the sacrifice that provided the blood. Go with me to Isaiah 52. I'm going to have to wrap this up. I kind of thought maybe I would be done early. Uh, Isaiah 52, I'm going to be in verse 13. <clears throat> this is a, you know, you all know this passage well. This is the, the most, one of the most explicit um, prophecies of uh, the things that Christ would experience uh, in, in all of the Old Testament. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and be very high. Then 52.13, did I tell you that? Okay. As many, uh, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, and kings shall shut their mouth at him. For that which has not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard they shall consider. For who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's right. Yet do we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So for the joy set before him, for the goal that he had, he, he, he knew where God was going with this thing. And so he, uh, so he, he, uh, he made his soul an offering for sin because he knew about uh, what God was going to do with his seed. Uh, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. And so I just want to bookend that with what he said in 52.15, So shall he sprinkle many nations. See, like I said, I'm organized. That To me, that seems like that should be at the very end of that passage. So shall he sprinkle many nations. because, And that's why I read all of that that he did. Because Moses had the hyssop and he had the blood of these sacrifices to sprinkle. Uh, to sprinkle the, the book and the people and the tabernacle and everything. Uh, and uh, there was no real, no real cost in it to him, no real pain in it to him. But in the New Covenant, uh, then Jesus sprinkled us. And, and it was a very costly sprinkling, a very uh, painful sprinkling. And uh, you know, to, to tell Him thank you seems so inadequate for the, the things that He suffered. When you look at your life and you think, wow, for, for me, I don't seem worth that. You know, it's like, you know, it's easy to... Um, be generous and to be happy with people or whatever when they when they treat you well. What about when they treat you bad? You know, and uh, uh, it's very costly to uh, to give that kind of love when it doesn't feel like it's being given back. And so, so I can tell you that it touches the heart of God when when that uh, that love that He has poured out on you and sprinkled you with. Is uh, is returned to him. Uh, go with me to Romans three. I want to wrap it up with this. I apologize for cutting into your uh, coffee and donut time. Actually, I don't know if there are any donuts. I do see that Rhonda's here. So that begs the question: Where are the donuts? I'm going to be in verse, what did I say, 24. Okay, well, 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, because just as in the Old Testament, and so in the New, that, that the the requirement is faith in the blood. For there is no difference. All who sin come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, His righteousness, for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, his righteousness on you, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. And the thing that I wanted to focus on in this passage, and the reason I came over here, is because it says God has set, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Now, that word propitiation, you know, it's not exactly a, a word that we we typically use in modern English, uh, but it's like a it's like a, a sacrifice. It's like a getting a place to get rid of that stuff. 
the uh, the Greek word that that it uses here is uh, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it like hilasterion or something like that, but it means mercy seat. It, it's the same word for the the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. So whom God has set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in His blood. Because that's that's where you sprinkled the blood on the Day of Atonement was on the mercy seat. So so God has tied all these things up neatly in the person of Christ because the He sealed the covenant with us. We we accept the covenant. We we hear it from the uh the uh, the preacher. We hear it from the the guy at work, we hear it from the, the lady in the next cubicle. And we accept it for ourselves. We like I, I would accept that covenant. That sounds like a great thing to me. And so then that faith uh, causes us to receive that sprinkling of, of his blood that seals that covenant with him. And uh, you know, the Bible says that, uh, that God is not a man, that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. It's like has he said and shall he not do it? Has, has he promised and shall he not make it good? So when God makes you a promise, when God makes a covenant with you, and when he makes an agreement with you, he's going to come through for you. And and that I can promise you. Because, you know, people will let you down. People will do their darndest and they may still not come through for you the way you had hoped. But God will not. He will not fall short. He won't. Uh, he won't come short of of performing the very things in your life that He's promised you. So, if you can't think of something off the top of your head that that you could apply that to. It's like I know God is going to come through for this on me. Then you have this. You've got the whole book, and it and it's all for you. And so, those promises. Uh, belong to us, and and I can assure you that that God will indeed come through for you with those things. So God, we thank you for this uh, time in your Word, God, for your uh, Spirit uh, blessing us and touching this Word, and for uh, just planting it inside of us. God, I pray that uh, that these things would grow into us. God, that we would uh, apprehend them by faith. And that we would take a hold of your word, Lord God. We accept that sprinkling most uh, uh, gratefully today, Lord God. Uh, God, when, uh, when, when you introduced Abraham uh, in the Bible, you started out with a covenant that you, that you offered him. And after he took Isaac on the mountain, you reiterated that exact same covenant again. God, so today, God... We, we want to renew that covenant with you, God, accepting your word for us, uh, obeying your voice, believing your word, and, and accepting that, that uh, sprinkling that, that seals this covenant between us. God, we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Lord, and we just pray that you would uh, accept our persons and our praise today, Lord God, as an offering to you, uh, that it would be a, a sweet-smelling savor to you. God, we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen.